Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guest is Cindy Lewis of Sterling Associates. Uh, Cindy is a longtime sponsor of AGLCA and a frequent speaker at our events, and her specialty, of course, is marine financing. So we'll bring in Cindy to address that in just a moment. Before we get started, though, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, United Yacht Sales of the Carolinas, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Cindy Lewis, thank you for joining us on Great Loop Radio. Thank you for having me, Kim. And you, of course, are with Sterling Associates. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into marine financing. Sure, sure. Um, I've been in the boating industry pretty much most of my life since I graduated from college. I started with a sailboat dealer in the Twin Cities in the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area who had a very active business and grew his business to five locations in the late 70s. In the early 80s, I was headhunted and hired by Pearson Yachts and moved to Rhode Island and worked at Pearson in the factory in the marketing department. And back in those days, we were making 800 boats a year and had 1,000 employees and business was uh, on fire. And then along came uh, a lot of economic changes globally, and interest rates went to 22%, and that changed the the fate of big manufacturing for a while. Um, I ended up uh, migrating down to a Pearson and Grand Banks and Sabre Yacht dealer in Connecticut and sold boats there for a few years and then moved to Annapolis, Maryland in 1983 where I was a yacht broker for uh, several years before changing direction a little bit. I moved into the uh, marine advertising sales, working for Motor Boating and Sailing Magazine, and then uh, moved on to Passage Maker Magazine, where I was their first hire. So I was uh, proud of a magazine that uh, grew the cruising powerboat industry and uh, during a time when more and more people were getting interested in um, cruising powerboats. Uh, Eventually, I had the opportunity to get into marine financing and uh, have been doing that for about 16 years, and I think it's uh, a a nice transition using all my industry knowledge and connections and contacts and product knowledge to be able to talk to people about not only financing but have a good understanding about the boats that they are buying. Well, exactly, because you've you've done kind of all of it in the in the marine industry, which is great experience as someone's going to finance their boat. So you um, just spoke at our spring rendezvous, and the presentation was very well received. You've spoken for us a lot, so I wanted to cover some of those same things that you usually present about today. So let's start by talking about how a company like yours, like Sterling Associates, differs from just going directly to a bank for your boat loan. Sure, sure. Um, Sterling Associates is what we call a marine service company, and in essence, we're like a mortgage broker. Uh, we have relationships with multiple banks. Uh, in our in our company, we have 19 lenders that we work with, and we're also owned by a bank. So when you talk to Sterling or any of the other finance companies that are out there, and there are several of us uh, that kind of do the same thing, um, we take a look at what is going to be the best fit. So if you go to your local bank down the street or a bank you've done business with for years, uh, they have one option, 
and it may be a good fit for you. But in this business, it's not always one size fits all, and you know we need to have a variety of banks available. Uh, quite often, banks have a regional lending footprint. Some have a national lending footprint. Uh, some have uh, guidelines for age of boat, where the boat is located, uh, where you live is, is part of the, the, the process, how you may be using the boat. There's quite a variety of things. So it's not one size fits all. So Sterling offers 19 different banks, and uh, we always strive to make the best fit. And again, Sterling, like many other companies, is what we refer to as a marine service company, very similar to a mortgage broker. So if we have a people listening who are looking at boats and and kind of engaging in the boat buying process at this point, how does a marine services company fit into that boat buying process or where in the, in the process should they engage someone like you? Well, there's a lot of times to step in and, and try to get the information. I always say that you can't get information like this at a boat show and nobody's born knowing, knowing how to finance a boat. So, um, the, the finance rep, a person such as myself, um, you know, comes into the process pretty early in the game uh, because quite often the brokers want to get a pre-approval. So what happens is, uh, as a finance rep, I become a, an arm or a conduit to the bank and an arm or a conduit to you and an arm or a conduit to the broker. So I become a, a, a kind of a central person in the process. Um, the bankers are there to look at the numbers on the screen. So what we do is we gather your information, figure out what's your best needs, figure out the best uh, down payment and terms and all that stuff, gather that information and send it to the bank. The banks are looking at the numbers on the computer screen, and they're looking to give you the money or not. Hopefully they are. And, you know, we're the the, the the part of the, the cog in the wheel that um, kind of coordinates everything from we gather purchase agreements, we gather survey information, we gather seller's information. So we do a lot of behind-the-scenes things that, uh, that are not really uh, evident when you start the process of buying a boat. A lot of people think you find the boat, you make the offer, you write the check. When financing is involved, you know, we become another very central part of that process. So, um, again, we become kind of part of each bank we work with, but we're not employees of the bank, yet we become an arm of the bank for that transaction. But I know know you've also um, brought up some instances in your seminars, Cindy, where, you know, you've acting as that go-between, you've been able to kind of educate the bank on some of the things that come up with boats. So if there's something on the survey that might be a red flag to the bank, um, You've brought us some instances where you having the marine industry knowledge that you do, you've been able to identify something on a survey that maybe to the bank seems like a big issue, but in reality is not. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. Um, bankers are bankers, and they're not necessarily boaters. And the bankers always look at the surveys, and you know, we I read every survey because I know that sometimes surveyors will write things in boat speak or boat construction speak and not necessarily banker speak. So um, there are times when some things can come up that might be confusing to a banker. I use an example of uh, there was a sailboat survey where the uh, companionway hatchboards slide into a little wooden track, and the wooden track was broken, and it was a $10 piece of teak. And the way the surveyor wrote it up was 
uh, it sounded like the the bulkhead was collapsing. So it said something about the you know the peak on the bulkhead at the companionway needs to be repaired, and the the banker read it as it was a disastrous type of a situation, and they wanted to have a comprehensive list of repairs and photographs. They wanted the surveyor to go back and look at the boat again, and it ended up being a $10 piece of teak. Um, by reading the surveys and kind of helping understand uh, or knowing and understanding what the process is, having been on surveys before as a broker in my former life, um, I, I can read through this stuff and, and try to help any red flags. There have been many times when I've had to to uh, ask a surveyor to smooth a sentence out because they might have two or three scary words like delamination or or corrosion and those are words that can be scary but you know when it ends up being a you know a piece of cor- corrosion on a on a screw on a bow cleat um, that's nothing to be worried about but again we try to make sure that the bankers have an understanding of what is 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 a good piece of collateral or um, or you know. To, to make sure that that there's not a uh, you know a, a collateral decline because the surveyor uh, wrote some scary sentences when there was really nothing wrong. Hopefully that makes sense. So. Make, makes great sense, and of course that's one of the reasons it's important to deal with um, people specific to the marine industry. So tell us a little bit about how the marine finance banks that you deal with um, are a little bit different than someone going to their local bank or credit union to try to finance their boat. Sure. Um, local banks or credit unions are great, and we we have some in our portfolio. They typically are a, um, you know, they have regional footprint, and they don't lend nationwide. You might have something that just might be, you know, Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania, or something like that, and they're great, but they're typically great for boats in the smaller price range, and I usually say under $50,000. They're great for that fishing boat or water ski boat, and they typically will underwrite those boats like a, a car, maybe do a seven-year loan or a five-year loan. So they're, they're great to have because uh, they, they make it easy and they make it quick. When you start to get into the larger boats, there's a little bit of a different process involved. And the um, typically the local banks and credit unions don't understand surveys, as we just talked about, uh, documentation, registration, state titling and things that we can help guide the buyer through. Uh, we often find um, that someone will say, well, I went to my local bank, and we, we needed to get a, a title search, and we didn't know how to do that, and it took three weeks. And you, know, it, and you hear stories of where trying to use a local bank really became kind of a process. Um, the marine lending industry is comprised of many banks, many of which are national lenders, who have what they call recreational divisions, and the, uh, th- those include RVs, aircraft, and boats. So they, they've set the parameters for fast turnaround, uh, an easy process. They've constructed for over $100,000 loans, 20-year terms, which 20 years ago they didn't have that, but now, now we do, which can keep the payments affordable. And they, they try to streamline the process uh, the marine collateral for these banks is, is very um, positive, meaning they don't get much default rate. Uh, the banks like having that collateral in their portfolio. And so they, they really work towards having that marine collateral. Again, your local banks may be great in certain situations, but they're not used to, to financing boats. So it's always good to check with them, 
but in in the long term, the marine specialists or the marine service companies are are generally better for 90% of the people out there. Okay. And one of the things that surprised me the first time I heard you talk about this subject is that not all boats meet the requirements to get a loan. Um, that was something I, I was not aware of. So uh, if someone were to go out shopping for a boat, what are the requirements for the boat itself so that if they plan to get a loan, they know what boats may and may not be eligible? Okay, sure. Well, the first the first one is basically banks won't finance wooden boats. So that beautiful old wooden crisscraft that you find, that's not going to we're not going to be able to help you with that. But generally speaking, um, banks have guidelines for age of collateral. Most of them are will go 1997 or newer, which is 20 years. And we have several banks that will now go back to 1987 or newer. And then we have a couple of banks that will, on a case-by-case basis, go even older than that for good collateral. So the one thing, you know, we, we do have loans for both up to 30 years old, but I all, often caution people to, to know that um, – that exit strategy is something to keep in mind. So if you find this great 30-year-old boat and you're going to keep it for four or five years, keep in mind that if that next buyer comes along and needs to finance it, they may have a difficult time doing that. And for, for many people, that doesn't make any difference, but it's a good thing to know. I always hate, hate to, to bring up an exit strategy in a, in a speaking engagement or in talking with someone because they're looking forward to buying the boat. They're not thinking about selling it. But I always say, remember, someday you will want to, need to, or have to sell it. And we really hope that you want to sell it and that you don't run into a situation of where you need to or have to. And if the boat is too old and, you know, it can, it can be a problem, you may end up lowering your price and having to fire sale it. And that's really not what you want to do. So, you know, generally speaking, uh, you know, the banks are out there to lend on collateral. That's why we have 19 lenders because, again, it's not one size fits all. Uh, some banks will only go back to a 15-year-old boat. Most banks go to a 20-year-old boat. Some banks, after 20 years, will raise the rates. Others will keep it the same. So, again, it's always a, a kind of a puzzle to try to make the right fit, but uh, the age of the boat is definitely important. Um, getting back to surveys, when the survey comes through, the survey needs to be in average to above-average condition. And the survey value needs to be reflective of the price you're paying for the boat. So there's a lot to keep in mind that the banks are looking for because basically the bank, you and the bank are partnering with the boat and they want to make sure that the boat is uh, good collateral and if something should happen and you need to sell it fast, they want to make sure that, that uh, it's not for them not of an age that could pose a problem if something happens and you needed a quick sale. Right. Any other requirements that the banks have for approval of the loan that we should know about? Well, we, we talk about collateral. I, I, now, you know, we'll talk about the individual a little bit. Um, the banks are going to require 15 to 20 percent down. And as far as the terms, that's going to be determined by how much you borrow. But, but typically, the looping boats are in that $100,000 above range because of the size that they are. Again, many are, are smaller, but uh, we'll talk about in general, uh, you know, if you're going to be borrowing, you know, a large amount of money, banks are going to require 15 to 20% down. After that 20% down, they're going to want to see that you've got liquidity uh, in a non-retirement account, meaning savings, brokerage, uh, checking. And in that it's always hard to say how much they want, but I always say plan on anywhere between 18 to 24 months of payments. So if the payment is $1,000 a month, 
um, you know, you can plan that they're going to want to see somewhere, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand or so in a liquid non-retirement account, just in case of emergencies. Um, after that, they're going to want to see that you've borrowed money before. Most people have had a mortgage. Many people have had boats before. Of course, people have had cars and trucks and maybe other kind of expensive equipment that they've, you know, financed or leased. Um, they'll want to see that you've saved for the rainy day, whether it's, you know, that you've got some equity in a home or that you've got uh, retirement accounts. And they're going to want to see somewhat of a balance. They don't want to see that, you know, you may have trouble if something should happen that you may have trouble making payments, which is, again, why they want to see that you've got some cushion and in, in, in immediate uh, liquidity. So they want to see, you know, that you've had a borrowing experience, that you've got a little bit to fall back on, and that you've, you've saved for that rainy day. And, again, that's same kind of the same parameters for buying a house. However, you know, understanding a little bit more about home mortgages dur- during a recent refinance, the home mortgage uh, process can be a lot more difficult than buying a boat. So um, we try to, again, try to keep it easy, streamlined, and uh, uh, quick. Uh, as far as what the bank needs, credit application, uh, basic financial information, two years' tax returns, uh, proof of employment or retirement pension, um, and that type of information. Pretty straightforward. We try to, again, keep it streamlined. Sometimes, uh, you know, people that are self-employed or have some, you know, complicated business network, uh, we need a little more information, and and that's, again, understood because if you're self-employed, they want to know a little bit more about, you know, what what your business is. So, uh, again, we try to keep it simple. Sometimes, case by case, we may need a little more information. But, uh Again, they want to see previous borrowing experience, um, a little bit of a cushion. Credit score is important, 700 or above. Most people are 700 or above. Uh, we don't want to see heavy debt and credit card debt. Um, and, again, most people these days uh, don't carry much credit card debt. Maybe you remodeled your kitchen or, or bathroom and put it on a credit card for points, but uh, that can be evident in just looking at credit, credit scores that you may just have done that on a one-time thing and you're paying it off. So. You don't carry huge credit card debt month after month after month. And, uh, again, most people don't do that anymore. So um, that's the credit card debt really doesn't even become a, a part of it in general. We don't see much mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'd like to give our listeners some information on, Cindy, is kind of the timing of this. Um, in, in relation to doing the loop, a lot of people do the loop right as they retire, um, and a lot of people kind of sell their primary home as they're getting ready to do the loop um, because they are anticipating having the boat that they're spending a lot of time on. I know that those kinds of decisions can have an effect on the financing decision because I've heard you give some great advice about that. I want to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors, but I'd like to cover those kinds of timing issues when we come back. Sure. Be back in a moment. Curtis Stokes & Associates is a yacht brokerage company that specializes in Great Loop capable boats. Curtis Stokes is a supporter of AGLCA at the Admiral level. If you're looking to buy or sell a Great Loop veteran from a trusted and knowledgeable broker, visit the company on the web at curtisstokes.net. Email curtisstokes at curtisstokes.net or call 954 954- Six eight four zero two one eight. 
We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Cindy Lewis of Sterling Associates, and she is an expert in marine financing, which is our topic today. Um, Cindy, just before the break, we were kind of mentioning some of the big life changes that tend to go along with uh, financing a boat for the loop, such as retirement or the sale of a primary home. Tell us how the timing of those types of sales um, or life changes can have an effect on your boat financing. Sure, sure. Um, one of the biggest uh, things that I talk to people about is uh, retiring in that final day at work. Um, the banks look at where you are now and where you've been for the last two years. So they want to see recent uh, pay stubs and two years tax returns. One of the hardest things for me to do is get a loan for somebody who calls me and says, Cindy, I, Friday was my last day at work. I'm retired now. Now it's time to go shop for the boat. What happens is the bank can't use the last two years' tax return, and they can't use current income because it's just changed. Now, typically that income will still allow a boat payment, will still allow a nice lifestyle. It really isn't going to change anything. However, it is changed. So I often suggest that if you're going to buy the boat and you plan on retiring, Try to get the boat lined up. Try to get that done before you have your going-away party because it's very, very challenging for any of us. It's very frustrating when somebody who has dreamed about buying a boat and doing a nice trip all of a sudden finds out that they don't qualify because of cash flow, yet they have the assets, they can make the payment. And had they applied for the loan a month before and we just used current information, then that current information and that current pay stub and the two years tax return apply. The banks don't project going forward unless they have a major change. It would be parallel to changing your job and, and changing your career and having a different salary profile and expecting to be able to use the last two years tax returns. So planning ahead is very important. Um, if you're going to sell your home and downsize, um, you know, planning ahead for that is important, too. The banks need to, to see that you still have terra firma, meaning that you, you do have a home to go back to, whether it's a, a rental or, uh, you know, a leased property. Um, they want to see that you still have a place to go home to. Full-time, mm-hmm. full-time Financing for full-time liveaboards is very difficult. None of our lenders do it, although there is a lender out there that will. Um, most people doing the loop typically are going to do the loop and then, you know, return to land at some point. Many people, like I said, will downsize, uh, maybe rent and come back. Um, again, planning ahead as, as far as what what the bank is going to need to see is basically they need to see that you have terra firma. And if anybody out there is um, interested in doing full-time live aboard, again, Sterling doesn't have any banks that can do that but they can contact me and I can point them in the direction of a bank that will. And uh, it can be a little bit challenging, but again, most people tend to do extended cruising with the plan to eventually go back to land. And, and that's, right. uh, that's where the banks need to see. Right. Um, we're starting to run a little bit short on time. And I, I know one of the, the key points that many people take away from your seminars is um, the benefits uh, tax-wise and sometimes the tax consequences of financing, especially with interest rates so low sure. right now. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about that, about paying cash for the boat if you have that ability 
versus financing as, as a potential better option, even if you do have the cash? Sure. Um, th- this is a very important topic. First of all, if you finance a boat, you can take a second home interest deduction under IRS Section 163, as long as it has cooking, sleeping, and toilet facilities. And even some of these center consoles these days have that. So most boats would fit that. So that's a nice tax benefit there. Uh, the other the other thing I run into is many people have worked hard all their life. They've put their money away, when paid off all their bills, all the kids are off at school, the house is paid for, you know, everything is, is ready to coast into a fun retirement life. And once they take a look at what what the consequences are for pulling that money out of investment accounts, capital gains can be another 20% penalty for pulling money out. So borrowing the money for a few years and then paying that off over a, a, a two, three, four-year period of time is uh, something that is very, very common anymore. Um, tax laws change, and I find many people realize that writing that check for $100,000 might cost them another 20000 in penalties. So it makes more sense to finance for a few years and then pay the boat off in chunks over a few-year period of time. Another thing, too, is that it, the markets are up um, about 12% the first quarter of this year. So even a conservative retirement investment should be averaging about 5% return and we still have interest rates around 4%, and on some of our ARM programs, you know, in the mid to low 3%. So it makes sense to keep your money in the bank and in your investment accounts working and to use the bank's money for a few years to uh, finance the boat and consider the payments, the cost of the, the trip. Um, I go back to my uh, exit strategy to, you know, anything can happen and you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you need to sell that boat quickly and that money that you have that you need in the boat is tied up and we don't know what the market's going to be but it could take six months a year to sell that boat let's hope not but making six six payments is much easier than sitting there needing that money knowing that your money is more accessible in your investment accounts and it it, it can give you a little bit of sense of relief to think, gee, I'm only making X dollars a month payment and I have access to my money that I was uh, thinking about writing the check to pay for the boat and the money is still in the bank and I can get that for my other needs. And again, anything can happen and it's, it's, it's a good way to consider that payments are just the cost of the trip. A lot of people will buy the boat just to do the loop and then sell it. And again, financing it makes so much sense with you know, all the, the, the rates, the returns, um, the fact that it can just be rolled into the cost of the trip, the tax deductions. Um, again, it makes sense for people to finance or at least consider it. And many people, I find at our seminars and, and our rendezvous, many people never even thought about financing. And given the information, they'll come back around and say, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm so glad that I got that information because doing my homework, you, everything you said about the, the penalties and the deductions and all that makes so much sense and it's going to cut my cost in the long term so everybody's different i urge you to take a look at your own financial profile discuss it with your financial planners and uh, financing may or may not be right for you but it's certainly something to consider 
Cindy, those are great tips. Um, I know your seminars are usually much longer than the 30 or so minutes that we have today. Any real key points that we've missed? I've tried to touch on, you know, kind of the highlights, but anything that we've missed that you want to make sure you get out to um, our listeners before we wrap up? Sure, sure. The one thing that is um, a lot of people want is a pre-approval, as do a lot of the brokers. And we're happy to get you a pre-approval. There's no fees for that. Um, the only thing we need to do is, uh, you know, have you kind of zero in on a boat that would work for you because unlike a home mortgage uh, where you get approved for amount of money and then go shopping for property, banks need a boat to tie to the application. It may not be the boat you end up with, but getting a pre-approval gives you a stake in the ground so that as you're out looking for boats, you know you can get a loan. And most people know that the type of boat they're looking for, it's kind of a similar like kind. It's a similar age range. They have a dollar target. You know, I would say use the higher end price range. Um, Use the most expensive boat you're considering. You can always take less money. You can always change collateral. But what happens is if that dream boat comes along and you're not prepared to make an offer and you have to go back and get financing and pull your financials together, someone else could come in and get that boat before you and we're in a very very active market right now boats are selling uh, people are buying decisions are made, being made very quickly and there are people out there that are disappointed because they lost out on an opportunity so having a pre-approval is always good uh, pre-approvals are good for 60 days and they can easily be updated I have many people uh, at, at, at any given time I always have you know, a dozen or more people that are pre-approved that are out shopping, and sometimes that shopping trip can take a year or more. Um, other times it's a matter of getting pre-approved, you know, knowing that they're going to get on an airplane, they hope to make the offer and conclude the transaction very quickly, but they don't want to have financing uh, involved in in uh, the offer. They want to just make it make it a clean offer, and if you have a pre-approval, it turns you into a cash buyer, and there's no second guessing on the seller as, you know, as to whether your offer is a good offer or not. Most sellers know the first offer is the best offer, and uh, they want to make sure that the transaction concludes. So, again, mm-hmm. pre-approvals are great. We'll all, we'll all do them gladly, and uh, there are no fees for that. Excellent. Cindy, If I know you're always willing to answer questions for people. If someone wants to reach out to you directly with questions or um, to engage your services, tell us what the best contact information for you would be. Sure, sure. You can, uh, I'm never far from my phone, and that's area code 410-903-6611. I'm in Annapolis, Maryland, and Eastern Time. Or you can email me at Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, at recreation finance.com r-e-c-r-e-a-t-i-o-n f-i-n-a-n-c-e dot com and or you can go to our website www.boatbanker.com and uh, link in through me there Uh, we always keep our rates current Uh, we do loans nationwide and uh, I'm I'm available seven days a week and uh, again might be phone tag because it's a busy time of year but I'll certainly get back to you or respond to your emails as soon as I can. Cindy Lewis with Sterling Associates. Thank you for joining us on Great Loop Radio. Thank you for having me, Kim. Uh, Thank you to our listeners for joining us again this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.